Good morning. It is Monday, December 20th, 2021, and this is DC Signal to Noise. Wow, we've got quite the lineup for you today. Since we last checked in, bowl season has started for college football, and basketball season is well underway, and the Flory clan has already celebrated Christmas not once, but twice, with one more to go when Christmas actually gets here. The Omicron variant of the COVID virus is spreading, but Americans are doing what they can to keep holiday gatherings on schedule. And Senator Joe Manchin over the weekend said he is a no on President Biden's Build Back Better plan. I'm Talk host Chip Flory, and that guy sitting next to me is pro-farmer policy analyst Jim Wiesmeyer. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Jeff. We're at, up and at it this morning. Absolutely. It's been a while since we've done this together. It's good to be back on the team, man. <laughs> and speaking of teams, wow, uh, we've got two members of a very impressive team at Combest Cell and Associates with us this week. First, let's introduce Tom Cell. Tom, it's good to talk with you again, and Merry Christmas. Thanks, Chip, and Merry Christmas to you. I'm behind you. I, I've got some Christmas celebrations to go. Uh, hey, hey, they're all worth it. They're all oh, worth it. That's for sure. That's for sure. And welcome, Colin Peterson. Congressman, it's good to talk with you again. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. All right. And, and Colin, congratulations on the recognition from Pro Farmer this year, 2021 Ag Person of the Year. Jim, you and I always have input into uh, Pro Farmer selection of the story, the event, and person of the year, but Congressman's, Congressman Peterson's nomination came from you. Uh, wh what did you see that prompted that nomination? Well, you know, I'm going to read briefly what we put in, uh, you know, page four mm -hmm. of Pro Farmer, a House Ag Committee, former House Ag Committee Chair Colin Peterson is our co-choice for Ag Person of the Year. Uh, you joined the Fed Chairman, by the way, Colin, yes. so you're you're in good company. Why? By far the biggest policy threat to agriculture was the potential elimination of stepped-up basis. Now, Colin called it something else, and he'll go through that. Peterson couldn't directly lobby, but he did pick up that pen and articulate to readers, including lawmakers, how seriously damaging this would be. His op-eds got a lot of traction, Senator John Thune was a key GOP point man on the issue, and so was Representative David Scott, you know, Democrat from Georgia, yep. eventually weighed in. But Colin got the ball rolling. Another one, Peterson also forcefully argued that Democrats should not mandate greenhouse gas or methane emission reductions via the Clean Air Act or new legislation, including the social spending Build Back Better bill. He stated that it would set back efforts by decades, and Democrats listened. Okay, yeah. so again, congratulations, you know, Chairman. Thank you, Chairman. <laughs> you know, yep. good job. Thank you. Okay, I thought we'd start by uh, the actual. Um, where do you see now the BBB going, uh, Chairman? Is it dead, or will they try? I know they're going to, you, know, you know, try to resurrect it. Well, I have no idea what they're going to do. This what I read this morning. Is Schumer is now saying that he's going to have a vote? Yes, mm -hmm. I don't quite understand what that's about, uh, other than trying to placate the liberals that are upset. You know, I don't know what it's going to accomplish. And I read another place where Pelosi had some kind of a plan, but um, I don't see, you know, how they how they make this work if they don't get Manchin on board. And, you know, I, I've said this for a while. I didn't think this was going to happen. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I 
all this happy talk that was coming out of the leadership in both House and the Senate, uh, you know, I just shook my head. I, I didn't think this was going to happen. They, they overreached, you know, yeah. and uh, Manchin is right. You know, uh, this bill costs a lot more money than what they say it does because what they've done is they've tried to score it in small, you know, one part of it, and they're only scoring it for two years, and then they end it. Another one, four years, and they end it. Uh, it's smoke and mirrors. And um, if I were there, told Congress, I wouldn't vote for it either. Okay, I was going to ask no. that. What in, yeah. in your writing on the stepped-up basis? What do you think uh, gained the most uh, uh, attention in in convincing you, you, you know a growing number of people that you know that this was not good for ag? Well, um, you know it's it's hard to know exactly. Um, I, you know, when I left Congress, um, uh, Scott and I had a discussion. You know, and he said he was going to. Uh, pay attention to me and, and listen to me on different issues. So I think I had an impact on him. Uh, Richie Neal and I had a very good relationship. I'm sure that what I wrote here had an impact on him. And then there were members of the, the Democratic caucus in the House and probably the Senate that, that agreed with it. So I just laid out, uh, you know, we worked for how many years to get the uh, state tax exemption up from 1 million up to uh, 11.7, uh, you know, it, you know, we just kind of inched it along and eventually got it to where it was at. And it just doesn't make any sense to uh, back off from it because it's working. And, you know, this all this rhetoric that the rich people are uh, getting by with something. I mean, they, they don't understand. Uh, most members don't understand how much money it takes to be a farmer and how much investment they have. Uh, and how much you can upset this apple cart. So, you know, I tried to, you know, I actually went back to my CPA background and tried to explain that they actually weren't getting rid of the stepped up basis. What they were doing is uh, changing it to for a transfer tax. Uh, I probably shouldn't have gotten down in the weeds like that, but, um, you know, it had the same effect. Yeah. Tom, do you have any on, you know, comments on the impact of those articles? Well, I think getting down in the weeds like that is what makes what makes Colin really impactful. You know, he has, you know, the power of the pen is strong, but the power of the pen combined with 30 years of, of you know, credibility that's built uh, with the Congress um, is immensely powerful. And yeah, so, OK, they don't get rid of stepped up basis. They just make you pay for it. They implemented yeah. <laughs> a, a, a transfer tax. And it's those kind of details. And, and I'm. You know, well, let me confess, I, I represent the Happy Talk Caucus in our firm. I, I, I tend to always uh, uh, see the upside in things, but I still believe uh, that in Congress, in this great, you know, uh, uh, democratic republic that we have, where, where we have our, our, uh, our ability, our First Amendment rights to exercise our voice, I still believe that a well-crafted argument wins the day. And, uh, you know, Collins entering from the outside during a cooling off period, but the ability to influence things from the outside without direct contact, but, but, but through the power of the pen. I just love it. I mean, it's, it's, it's what we're supposed to be about uh, yeah, in, the, Colin, in the democratic system in D.C. Yeah, Colin, talking about, uh, you know, being in the weeds, you were like volunteer corn in a soybean field. It was very, <laughs> it was very evident. So, again, you... 
You made it crystal clear. You know, with the BBB in limbo, what's ahead for climate change? Well, will the White House have to be even more aggressive via regulations, Colin? You know, I don't know how they do that um, and make it effective. You know, I think they have to have legislative language and legislative changes and they're going to actually accomplish something. Um, you know, there was another story this morning I read about how the, um, um, you know, they're going to have to have some kind of a, other another bill, uh, which, you know, maybe is true. But I can tell you this, if it's the if it's what is in the current BBB bill, it's not going to go anyplace because it's too extreme, you know, and there's and there's things in there that are not tested. You know, I mean, the problem that I have with all of this is that they're trying to do things. Everybody wants to do something about carbon, about climate change, but they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, you know, They're trying to push things that don't have any track record or any um, backup that has got relevance, you know, and, I, and that's the bottom line problem. I, I'm okay with trying to do something about this, but let's push things that actually are demonstrated to work and not just some ideology that's pushed by whoever it is, and it's, you know, especially not some ideology that's pushed by somebody from New York City. Yeah. Which is yeah. not <laughs> what we need. Jim, let me jump in here for just a second. Sure. I want to remind all of the viewers that if you've got a question or a comment, this is a rare opportunity uh, to ask questions of Tom Sullen and uh, Colin Peterson. The comments question or the comments tab over on the right side of your screen Click on that. should bring up a dialogue box for you at the bottom of the page. I'll be watching that as we go. Can I go back to the, to the step up in basis for just a moment? Uh, <laughs> Chairman Peterson, did you have any conversations with, with Secretary Vilsack about no. uh, the whole process? No. No? I was curious about that because no, he, thought, he stuck with it for a long time. Yeah, well, he, he was doing what he what he was told to do. Yeah. You know, and this, you know, this is why I would never entertain, uh, you know, people talk to me about being secretary of agriculture. This is why I would never entertain the list. <laughs> and I watched Bob Berglund and what happened to him, mm. you know, when he went from the Congress to the secretary under Carter. And when he had to, you know, he argued like crazy to get rid of the um, grain embargo before they did it. And they wouldn't listen to him. And then he had to carry it out. Yeah. You know, and I remember Cliff Olsey, which was right hand man, had to had to drive up in the back of the building there outside the cage. And Bob had to crawl out the window to get out of there because of these guys circling the, the you know, the, the department with these tractors and you know, and, and by the time he got done, he was so unpopular he couldn't come back home. Wow. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna be involved in anything where I have to take a position that I don't agree with. You uh, know, I, Collins, uh, speaking of Vilsack, you know, when he was chosen to be Ag Secretary under Obama, uh, agriculture was skeptical, but then he won them over. Yeah. Now, this go-around, agriculture was excited, yep. and he is underwhelmed, according to some people. It, USDA is fixated on equity and climate. And is it okay to have priorities, but does it need to be an obsession where it drives every discussion and policy? This is what I'm there asking in my speeches. It, 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 it is getting a collective eye roll <laughs> in the countryside. 
uh, you know, you, you know, any comments on that? Yeah, I think it's a big mistake. Uh, you know, but I do know that, you know, I spent a lot of time with Tom when he was secretary the first time. I mean, we used to have lunch, you know, almost every week, uh, you know, and he struggled with the civil rights issues that he was, you know, uh, kind of left to. Uh, and he, he did not accomplish, uh, you know, what he was trying to do in, in, in terms of, of uh, making those folks happy. And uh, there was a lot of things that, you know, that followed him out the door. So I think part of it, he, he wanted to go back and try to right those, I don't know, yeah. wrongs, but whatever. And, um, you know, in uh, the way he's going about it, I just, I don't agree with, you know, I think he's to some extent boxed in by what some of these members of Congress are doing, where they put in these bills to, uh, you know, to do the, make the, um, forgive debt and all this sort of thing. But, um, you know, it's not going to happen. I don't think the, the courts are not going to let this happen. And what they're proposing now is not equitable from what I can see, you know, and I don't know how you go in and pick and choose who should be forgiven and who shouldn't. And, right. you know, I think the one place everybody agrees that let's support these historically black colleges and universities. Mm -hmm. Everybody agrees on that. You know, and so let's put our focus in places where we can actually make a difference and uh, not get off on the other issues. But you know. Tom, any comments on, uh, you know, Vilsack's report card? Well, uh, you know, I come from the Republican uh, side, uh, but I, I, I was I was a big fan of, of Tom Vilsack's record under President Obama eight years and, and just did you know, what had a very humble approach, uh, particularly once he once he got into it. He, Jim, he actually came out to Lubbock, Texas, which is where I'm from, which is uh, about as red of country as, as as you can find. And he spent an hour just engaging with farmers, just did an amazing job, had an amazing command of the issues that oh, were yeah. relevant to the producers. Um, and and it was just amazing. We had a we had a we had a great time. I, I will say, you know, I think this has been a tough year because He's spent a lot of time in Iowa. He hasn't spent a lot of time on the road actually engaging with producers. And a lot of that is, is due to the ongoing uh, COVID concerns. But also, uh, you know, he is ultra-focused on these two issues, the, the uh, you know, the, the trying to reach out to uh, underserved farmers um, to the extent they're out there and, and uncover and, and help them out. A lot of focus on that. And then uh, a lot of focus on, on the climate. But I will say, it, you know, it, it tends to kind of in the ears of the producers that we represent, it kind of comes off as lecturing uh, a lot this time around. And mm -hmm. and um, and I think he would be well served. I mean, I, he is a super smart yes. individual and capable yeah. leader. I think he'd be you know, well served for, you know, for his staff to just advise to take a little more humble approach and listen to what's on the minds and hearts and the concerns of of the people who are actually producing the food and fiber uh, that, that make this nation run. Yeah, spot on. Uh, you know, Colin, uh, your other part that we mentioned in Pro Farmer about your your warning to watch out for on the regulatory side on on methane, you know, regulations. Uh, you know, any any other comments on that? Do we we've seen EPA, the ag groups were gaga over the EPA administrator, and they didn't like what he announced on the renewable fuel standard. Is your concern still there that they're going to come in the back door with the Clean Air Act? 
Well, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, it's very frustrating that somebody that was at the table that made the RFS happen, and we were guaranteed 15 billion gallons, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, we built out the industry to produce 15 billion gallons, and then it's been undermined, you know, and, uh, you know, this administration, there's some good, good things in what they've put forward, but there's things that are concerning. And so it's not a clear message, I don't think, to the industry about where they're at on all of this thing. But uh, go back to, we were promised 15 billion gallons of corn ethanol, you know, and uh, it's been undermined by not, not <coughs> this administration, but the previous administration, you know, and you got, you know, when we passed this, people don't remember, but we had the environmental community 100% behind us. Mm -hmm. and that's how we got this. Mm -hmm. oh, yes. And a lot of people wanted to have energy independence and so forth. And uh, now it's, it's changed. And uh, it's kind of like cellulosic ethanol. <laughs> you know, uh, part of how we got it done in, in 07 was we, we promised the environmentalists that we were going to push for cellulosic ethanol, which is what they wanted. Uh, and there was going to be some extra room for that. Well, it's just not economically feasible to do that because you got the biomass that you got to deal with and trying to keep it dry and all this sort of thing. And I think people have finally figured that out. But now they're on to other kinds of things that they're pushing that they think is that somehow or another that this, they're going to come up with renewable fuels that are going to fit into this mandate that are going to come from other sources. And I just don't think it's realistic. So I wish they would just give us the 15 billion gallons that we were promised and uh, we'll support them trying to, you know, see if we can figure out these other fuels and, and see if they'll work economically. But you know, I'm, I'm skeptical. You know, where, where do you see the RFS program going in Congress, Colin, after, as they try to deal with this uh, after 2022? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, I think the, the one thing we did in ethanol is uh, by getting rid of the tax credit. Uh, we got that target off our back. Uh, you've got, you know, it's not just ethanol. You've got the biodiesel, uh, bio-renewable diesel, all this other stuff that's involved in, in this. And uh, it's much harder for, for this, that industry to develop the um, efficiency that we were able to develop in ethanol. And so I think a bigger question in all of this is going to be what happens to biodiesel going forward, you know, when that, uh, man, when that, uh, tax credit runs out. Uh, so I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, it's, it's going to depend on who's in charge of Congress, um, you know, who's in charge of the committees. Uh, I don't know where they're going to find the money. Uh, it's just, it's up in the air. But um, we have a law in place. That law <laughs> says it's supposed to be 15 billion gallons. In order for us to get this through, what we had to do, largely because of the Senate, <coughs> give them these, um, uh, you know, waivers. And it was supposed to be for small refineries. Mm -hmm. And the last administration um, allowed it for big refineries. And it's kind of undermined the whole thing. So yes. I hope we get back to where we were. But I Tom, Tom, any comments yeah. on the congressional side or not? Well, I, uh, yeah, I think the RFS issue is, you know, there are a bunch of bills that have already been introduced. Um, so I, I think Colin hit that well. I will say, you know, just with respect to EPA and 
kind of the environmental agenda of, of, of the administration. It's, it's tough. I think it is the single biggest concern that I hear when I visit with farm groups. Well, inflation, uh, and a lot of that is stemming from some of this environmental movement. Um, uh, but, but just like, you know, the, the, the push to go to, you know, no-till farming and at the same time, uh, what seems to be an attack from EPA on some of the herbicides that are, that yeah. are critical for yes. no-till farming. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an inconsistency that's, that's playing out in rural America right now. So we have some real challenges on that front, Clean Water Act, and obviously the, the potential revisions of, of, uh, of WOTUS, um, uh, pesticide and herbicide registrations, uh, where we are in the Clean Air Act and, and, and the methane tax, like you talked about, it's, it's that, that spectrum of issues is, is a real concern in rural America right now. You know, Colin, Colin, when you were chairman, you were a leader in both dairy policy and sugar policy. With you gone and Pat Leahy going to retire in the Senate, what you know, what do you see for dairy policy? I know you made some substantial changes uh, in your last farm bill. Uh, you know, where do you see dairy and sugar policy going? Um, but before I get to that, Jim, I just want to say I tell my farmers out here all the time that when you have a market that's depending on the EPA, you're in trouble. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's the bottom line. But, he uh, said that many, many times. I've heard it. Yes. <laughs> yep. But sugar is strong. Sugar is in a good position. They have a program that works, uh, that, that's, that they're happy with. Uh, we were able to raise the loan rate, you know, the last, uh, whenever it was. Uh, so I think sugar is fine. I think they've got solid support. Uh, they've got my support, and uh, once I'm past January 3rd, if they need help, I'll be there to help whatever I have to do. Uh, dairy, I think, is kind of in the somewhat in the same position, although it's going to be messier. Uh, and with Leahy gone, you know, in some respects, uh, having he he and I gone may make it easier uh, because we didn't agree on things <laughs> and. Uh, he and I always had a dust up at the end of every conference committee over dairy. But uh, what I was able to do, it took me 10 years to do it, was to get a safety net for small producers that works. And this margin coverage, which is mm -hmm. they can purchase from USDA up to 5 million pounds, basically guarantees to these small producers that they're never going to lose money. You know, and that's what they needed. So we've stopped the hemorrhaging of the small producers because of this margin coverage. Uh, and the other thing we did is we put in the revenue coverage, revenue protection for the people over 5 million pounds. And so you've got the producers, they can all get the first 5 million at that lower rate. But then if you have more production than that, you can buy revenue coverage, which can help protect your, your, your situation. The large producers, I'm not sure needed that because they were doing this in the marketplace, you know. Uh, but I think we have a system now that's uh, politically sustainable uh, if they don't go and muck it up, you know, and there's people in there trying to make changes that are actually going to do more damage than good. Uh, and I don't think they understand what they're doing. You know, uh, you know, I'm okay with them going in and, and improving the margin coverage. There's been talk about raising it to 10 million pounds. I think that'd be fine. You know, that may be good. Uh, because there's a lot of young guys getting in and they need four or 500 cows, you know, mm -hmm. to make it work. So, 
you know, those folks are not going to make enough milk to oversupply the market, no matter what. You know, I want to stick on dairy. On COVID aid, Colin, USDA continues to put what many producers say are unworkable pay limits on dairy farm operations. And USDA said they're consistent with the farm bill, but has anyone at USDA read the farm bill? Dairy has no pay limits. So, you know, it's just, so what's happening? Why is USDA being so punitive to dairy farmers with COVID aid? I have no idea. When I left, I made it clear that that last bill was not going to have payment limits. And they tried to push me to do that. Hmm. And I said, no. And uh, that was in December. And I, you know, I am not a, a fan of payment limitations. I, I don't think it, it makes any sense. Uh, we don't, we're not smart enough to figure out what that level should be and, you know, what we're trying to accomplish with this. Uh, I, I just, I just don't think it's the right kind of policy. This is driven by people that have, an ideology, you know, that have this belief that small farms are going to be the great savior of the world, whatever. And, uh, yeah. you know, if we if we end up pushing the big farms out of the picture of the United States, uh, you watch what happens to, to food prices. So it, right. it's, it's a mistake. And, I, and I've told people, but apparently somebody's pushing them pretty hard on this. Hmm. Tom, any comment? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd love to jump in. And I, I think Colin identified the issue in dairy policy, right? I mean, you have you have the small producers who, that's great. And, and dairy policy is oriented to try and give um, uh, those families very special, uh, very specialized and high level of support. And then you have everyone else. And let's face it, the bulk of milk, um, I mean, the vast bulk of milk, 80, 80% is produced by the larger dairy farms. And, you know, whether you're a, a, a thousand cow dairy or 10,000 cow dairy. That's basically, it's an economic, economic model that, you know, they need one another, but they also compete with one another. They're competing for, for uh, feed and land and, and, and all the resources needed to, to, to put together that operation. And so when you come with some arbitrary pay limits that kind of cut that in the middle, let's say it, it, it supports, you know, 2000 cows worth of production, uh, but nothing beyond that, you just create competitive advantages and disadvantages on arbitrary means. We don't do that in the farm bill for a very good reason. Uh, Jim, I appreciate the way you lead it into, let, led into the conversation. Uh, they need to read the farm bill yeah. uh, where we deliberately don't, don't draw those lines in that larger dairy economic model. Um, uh, but CFAP, and this was a Secretary Purdue policy in the previous administration, really drew some 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 hard lines there was actually a bill passed by congress what colin was referring to last december in fact december 22nd yeah. 363 days ago uh, that said hmm. go back and fix this uh, essentially to the secretary it's not been implemented yet of course we still see things from that december bill rolling out they just did a hog program uh last week so we're still hopeful that 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 um that some relief is finally provided or just just bringing fairness into the system. That was, that was the goal here. It's been a whipsaw horrible year. I mean, just, well, interesting. I mean, uh, incredible time for dairy over the last year and a half of the pandemic. Um, and uh, the fact is if you're going to respond with policy um, and put the federal government in, in the middle of this equation, you need to do it in a fair way that, that, that treats all milk equitably. 
in the brief time we have left, I want to get to WIP Plus. You know, Congress passed WIP Plus in September. No announcement from USDA yet on the regulations. And by the way, dairy and livestock will be covered now. And I think there's a $900,000 limit. Uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but now they're saying not until next year. So, you know, are there any tweaks here and there that will help them get this out any sooner, Colin? And what do you see as the role of WIP Plus relative to crop insurance? Some, not many, but some crop insurance agents are getting a little nervous that if this continues as an annual program, then you'll have your non-Aggies in Congress say, what do we need crop insurance for? Yeah, I don't know if I uh, think that, that that extreme will happen, but I think we're at a point where that I'm not sure that WIP Plus is going to be uh, extended in the future. I mean, I think uh, we've been through this, and, uh, you know, as I see this or I understand it, uh, the regulations... I don't know why they're holding this up. I mean, I, I, as I understand what they're going to do, they're going to basically stick with the uh, process or the regulations that they've had uh, going forward. And I think it's, it worked relatively well. And there's people that like tweaks here and there and so forth. But, um, you know, I, I have that concern that crop insurance has, that if you continue this forever, it's it's going to be a problem. It, it, not only with the non-Aggies, but I think it's going to, you know, potentially undermine the system. Uh, you know, with people uh, wondering whether they need crop insurance, you know, uh, at the extent that they do. So it's it's a wrong direction, and hopefully they'll see that. Tom, any comments on WIP Plus? Yeah, well, I, I think the good thing about the design, if you're going to have a disaster, the way WIP Plus has been structured, even if you call it a new name, the, I, what, what I think I appreciate about the structure is it incentivizes buy-up. So even as the farmer looks at next year in the future, if they were to do another WIP plus, the incentive is to you know buy a higher level and it gives you an, an enhanced level of coverage uh, above that. It's also fairly simple. It can use crop insurance data. Now, uh, FSA has been you know bedraggled by problems and updating their software in a way that can, can simply take a download from RMA and build off of that, but supposedly, they're going to have that uh, fixed going forward when they finally roll this out. But I, I'm with Colin. It's, you know, that bill was passed September 30th. So here, 90 days uh, uh, pass and, and nothing out yet. So it's, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful the administration and, and in talking to the folks at USDA, and of course you have incredible civil servants there who do, who do great work. And this, this continues to be a, a challenging year for federal government for the employees, not a lot of people uh, uh, coming in, having to work remotely. Uh, but hopefully they roll this thing out early in January uh, after Christmas. It covers both 20 and 21. So the data, uh, particularly for 20, is there and they should be able to roll it out uh, right away. Uh, so I think we just got to keep pressing and hold them accountable. Appreciate what you guys do uh, in, in, uh, in fostering that accountability. Well, Congress, they told Congress to make it less complex and get the payments out a lot faster. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what's probably taking them so long <laughs> right. to figure out. I think we're right on time, Chip. Jim, I, I just, what Jim. you just heard is why, even though Colin doesn't want to be Secretary of Agriculture, <laughs> he should be because yeah. he can handle these issues. And Tom is his backstop. Absolutely. Absolutely. No question about it. I want to call an audible on this because... 
I, I think there's there's two more issues that if we could handle them quickly, gentlemen, I I think they're very much uh, very important to get to. Jim, ask uh, well, I'll ask about the elections. How are the elections in in 2022 going to turn out, uh, Chairman? Well, it doesn't look good for the Democrats in the House. Uh, you know, I don't see any scenario where at this time where they're going to be able to maintain the majority in the House. Uh, the Senate, I think, I don't know, I'm not as close to that. Uh, kind of the way I read that, it could go either way. But I think, uh, you know, the Democrats have really kind of abandoned rural America. And, you know, it's, um, and, you know, in the rural America, you know, didn't vote for Democrats. And right. They didn't vote for me. Uh, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's a problem. So I, I don't know. It's, um, uh, I think that's pretty unlikely that um, they're going to hold the House. How does this impact the Farm Bill debate? Why would yeah. any Republican on the House Ag Committee want to further that debate until, you know, they're back in, in power? Well, Jim, you know, if you remember before I took over as chairman in 07, uh, Bob Goodlatte, Mm-hmm. He had field hearings, you know, uh, when he was chairman. And we went all over the country and, uh, you know, listened to people and so forth. And then, uh, you know, he was graciously um, willing to help me when I became chairman. Uh, and I got into it with uh, Chuck Connors and the administration over what we were doing. You know, and I tried to help Bob with what he tried to do. At the end of the day, uh, he helped me get enough votes on the Republican side to override uh, pre- uh, President Bush's veto twice. Yes. Well, yeah. And so that's part of the trust that we developed over that two years when we had those hearings. So mm. I would say to the Republicans, you know, uh, it's, if uh, Chairman Scott and them want to have hearings, you know, work with them. Go out there and listen to people. You know, there's, there, there's nothing going on in those hearings that are going to be promoting any kind of agenda. They're just trying to hear from producers what's going on. Yes. I don't yeah. think that's a problem. Okay, Tom, real yeah. quick. Well, I think it's important to know that there's still this great legacy of bipartisanship uh, on both the House and the Senate Ag Committees. I, I saw that G.T. Thompson last week, the, the ranking minority, the Republican leader on the on the House Ag Committee, was calling for farm bill hearings yes. last week. And I, I think implicit in that is, is kind of a statement of, let's start talking about what people are concerned about um, instead of instead of these these. Um, uh, larger issues. rainbow and unicorn issues. Let's <laughs> let's talk about where the rubber meets the road on the farms. That's the farm bill. Let's let's get out in, in rural America and start talking about it. Just what Goodlatte and Peterson did back in the day. Yeah. And then it is, you know, it's a great thing how how they can work across the aisle and 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 come together with good ideas. That'll Chip, be the key whoever has control. Okay. Chip, your yeah. other audible. Yeah, uh, it takes us back to where where the conversation started, and, and that is with the Build Back Better. If it is a no, Chairman Peterson, are you concerned or do you see a scenario in which the Biden administration may use the executive orders, other regulatory avenues to try to implement some of those, what they were trying to get passed in, in Build Back Better? Uh, I have no idea what they're going to do. I think it would be a mistake. I think they need, especially in the, you know, if you're talking climate change and carbon, they need to have the Congress solidly behind whatever they're doing, you know? And so Robert Bonney and Bill Sack and, and others have assured me that whatever they're going to do, is going to be voluntary. It's going to make economic sense for farmers. 
you know, and um, that's what they need to stick with. And they got enough trouble in rural America without that's right. <laughs> people in the eye with this, and, and it's not going to work. So I, I just, um, you know, I don't know what they're going to do, but I, my advice to them is uh, try to work through the Congress, get what you can, don't overplay your hand. And what I think has happened here with this build back better, the uh, liberals, progressives have overplayed their hand. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Hail Mary pass. One final question. Fertilizer <laughs> prices. What can the government do, if anything? Good one. Uh, well, we've looked into that. I'm not sure there's much that can be done. It's a kind of supply and demand situation. Uh, you know, it's like it's like Congress trying to uh, legislate cattle prices or hog prices or legislate uh, market order, milk marketing orders. Uh, it's not going to work, you know, all this antitrust stuff. It sounds good and you can get a press release out of it, but when has that ever made any difference? You know, uh, so I just, I'm skeptical of any efforts that are put forward and it, it, whatever they end up doing, probably do more harm than good. Tom, final word on fertilizer. Well, I, th I think it's, it's hard, but, you know, promoting some, some, uh, some more domestic sources. So even yeah. with, with the anaerobic digesters and stuff like that, there are some abilities to, to, you know, develop this market, but in the short term, it's just very, very hard. There are some trade measures that uh, could and arguably should be, should be looked at, but particularly given the supply chain challenges we have just getting uh, products from point A to point B uh, it's, it's a, it's a harrowing scenario for, for next year. I think there's a reason why I, th I heard that Fapri lowered their production estimates by 10%, hmm. uh, uh, because of yeah. the, the potential lack of fertilizer. Well, I remember in the late seventies and you will too, Colin and early eighties that through regulatory morass, we, we, we got rid of a lot of our, you know, you know, domestic fertilizer yeah. production yeah. and, now we're we're reaping the you know some of the consequences of that. Okay, we're over time, but this is yep. why you heard. Uh, I didn't hear too much noise, if any. You heard lots of signals here, and that's why we like to have these two gentlemen on the on the podcast. Absolutely, uh, I will echo what Gary said in the comments. This conversation is why we miss Colin Peterson uh, <laughs> in the House of Representatives, uh, very much so. Tom, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Merry Christmas. To you. Great to be with you guys. Merry Christmas, Jim. Chairman Peterson. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Thank you both. Yeah. All okay, right, Jim, Jim Wiesmeyer. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. Merry Christmas to everyone. Have a great week and keep watching for those signals.